Double standards, cancel culture, putting woke sports to bed, a Diet Coke-powered golf legend with a side of freedom, and what it means to be fearless. That's all next, and here we go. Welcome to Tommy Laren is Fearless. I am quite obviously Tommy Laren, and yeah, some would call me fearless. Some call me a whole lot of other things as well, but let's just stick with fearless. And I know what some of you are thinking. Why the heck am I on OutKick, a predominantly sports-based website for sports fanatics and enthusiasts? I'm not an athlete. I do politics for a living. True and true. But thanks to the woke crowd, everything is political now, whether we like it or not. Sports, entertainment, education, health, art, beauty, children's books, movies, and TV, all political. So it makes sense that I'm here because I've got a lot to say about all of it. I'm here to put woke sports, woke entertainment, woke corporations, and woke media to bed. I'm here to not only show you how to be uncancelable, but to help cancel cancel culture for good. You see, for too long, conservatives have ceded our ground to the left, to the so-called loving and tolerant liberals who are actually anything but either of those things. We've allowed one side to set the parameters, push the narrative, write the rules, and then break and rewrite the rules to fit their agenda. They whine, they cry, they label, and they gaslight till they get what they want. And each time they do it, they move the goalposts a little further to the left and a little more and a little more until here we are in 2022 in a country that's being run into the ground by those same goalpost-moving wannabe communists, and we sit back and we let it happen. And not only do the leftists move the goalposts, they stifle and censor the conversation so it gets harder and harder to call them on it. They have friends in high places, in media, big tech, academia, entertainment, and even sports that co-sign the agenda, rubber stamp the narrative, and slap anyone who dares to disagree with a label such as, but not limited to, racist, bigot, homophobe, white supremacist, the list goes on. Everything that goes right, they take credit for, and everything that goes wrong, and that's a long list, they either blame on Trump or they gaslight us into believing their BS over our very eyes and empty pocketbooks. They want to call the plays, own the narrative, and run our lives, which would be maybe tolerable if it wasn't into the ground. Let's go, Brandon, am I right? But now the left has a new weapon, cancel culture, a weapon so powerful and so effective that most of you independent or conservative thinkers cancel yourselves through silence, through sitting down and shutting up before the mob can even get to you. Well, not here, not on this show and not on my watch. I'm going there and I'm discussing the people, policies, events, things and ideas that spark controversy, but more importantly, conversation. But this show isn't just for conservatives, just as this show isn't just for sports fans or even just for my fans. Yeah, that means I'm going to have guests join me that don't think like me, don't agree with me, and heck, may even hate everything I stand for. And that's okay. I welcome anyone who has the base, basket, or footballs enough to have difficult conversations. Cancel culture be damned. This show is fearless. And this show is for those of you who understand that fearlessness isn't a single action, but it's a lifestyle. So let's freaking go. Up next, I'm joined by a man, a basketball player, a patriot, who is the definition of fearless. Ennis Cantor Freedom is next. 
My next guest is no stranger to controversy and no stranger to fearlessness either. Ennis Cantor Freedom used his platform as an NBA player to call for social change. Now, you'd think the league that plasters Black Lives Matter on its courts and hails the self-anointed King James for his many worthless virtue signals would be all about an athlete, an immigrant athlete at that, advocating for worthwhile social and global change. Oh, wait, though, I forgot. The only social justice messaging the league supports is that which demonizes law enforcement, gun owners, conservatives, Trump supporters, and America as a whole. But if you go the way of Ennis Cantor Freedom and call out China and King James and mega companies like Nike, well, you might as well pack up your basketball shoes and pound sand. The NBA has contracts worth billions with China and with the Chinese Communist Party, so ruffling those commie feathers isn't the kind of social justice, hope, and change the league or its beneficiaries are looking to get into. But I'm looking to get into that and more with Ennis, who joins me now. Ennis, thanks so much for being here. Thank you for having me, Tommy. How are you doing? I'm doing well, and you are currently a free agent. You've remained unsigned since the Houston Rockets released you in February. So this is about your skills in the court, or is this a a not-so-thinly-veiled attempt just to blackball somebody who's calling out all of the atrocities around the world? You know, it's not a rocket science. Let me just give you stats for the the people who know basketball. Just last year, when I played with Portland Trailblazers, I averaged double-double. I started uh, many games, and we actually made the playoffs with Portland uh, Trailblazers. So a lot of people are telling me that all of a sudden, six months later, I forgot how to play basketball. And to me, it is it is funny. I actually laughed when I'm right here. But, you know, it is it is what, what it is. You know, I think it is important for people to just uh, call out uh, hypocrisy whenever it's out there. And that's what I did. And many people, trust me, many people believe, many of my teammates believe this is not about basketball. I think that's interesting, too, because I know in other worlds of sports, there are a lot of players who maybe aren't even conservative, but don't think that every league and organization is making the right moves politically, but they're too afraid to say something. You're not that kind of person. You call it out. But what I think is really interesting after reading your story is when you started out calling out Turkey, you actually had a lot of support from the NBA, even for the commissioner. They say, you know, we got your back. But then, oh, then you made the mistake of calling out the Chinese Communist Party and then things changed. Tell us about that. The last uh, nine, uh, the last ten years actually, because I've been in the league for eleven years now. The last ten years, I talk about the problems that are happening in Turkey because, unfortunately, there is no freedom of speech, religion or expression. There is no democracy. There is so many political prisoners are in Turkey, and I am affected, and also my family is affected. Uh, affected. My uh, my uh, my dad was in jail for a while just because I talk about some of the problems that are happening in Turkey. Uh, anyway, the last 10 years, the NBA has been so supportive. Even Adam Silver texted me twice on my phone and said, hey, whenever you need, we are here for you. We got your back. And he said, NBA is your family. And that made me feel so comfortable, you know. And then literally a year later, I started to talk about the problems that are happening in China. I Unfortunately, there is not one support. I'm not even talking about the NBA or NBA officials. I'm even talking about my team or my teammates. And that broke my heart. You know, it's only thing, you know, my teammates were keep telling me, like, listen, you know, this is your last year, right? I hope you win a championship because you are not getting another contract after this. And I was like, I cannot believe even my teammates, which I look at them as like my brothers, are telling me that this is my last year. And this is your farewell tour. Say goodbye to basketball. And that it broke my heart. 
We can't miss the hypocrisy here because we know, especially in the last several years, Black Lives Matter and other movements for social change have gotten a lot of attention, a lot of glorification by really every professional sports organization. And it's interesting to me that calling out China is problematic, but plastering BLM over everything, even as our country is quite literally burning, you know, LeBron James is really a loud voice in that advocacy. Uh, they cheerled that. They had no problem. You know, two years ago, when we were all in NBA uh, bubble, you know, NBA was telling all the players, we are encouraging our players to talk about whatever they want to talk about, right? And it was all about social justice. They put the, the logos on it on the floor. They put those phrases behind our jersey, which is they control those. We didn't pick what we wanted to pick. They only said, okay, the, here's 20 words, and you, can, you guys can only pick from those 20 words. That, that To me, that was, anyway... Um, you know, it was all about social justice and every player went uh, front of the cameras. They were talking about the problems problems were happening for, uh, you know, in our country and stuff. Um, I was like, fine, you know, you know, finally NBA is standing up for something that is bigger than basketball. And two years later, this happened. I was like, really? You guys are really not going to say a word about it? You guys are not going to even say we support our uh, player or we support uh, one of our brothers? And that at that moment, I was like, whatever is NBA doing is for his own PR. Whatever the players are doing for their own PR. So they can look like they're bigger than, you know, a player or an athlete or it's bigger than basketball, which I even talk about. Uh, I even talked to some of the players. I was like, listen, there's this player and that player going out there and t- talking about social justice and calling himself more than an athlete. Does he really feel that? He said, no, for whatever they're doing is for their own PR so they can look good in the community. And I was like, I cannot believe the last 11 years no one exposed this hypocrisy. Well, the perfect example of that, of course, is LeBron. And you pull no punches <laughs> criticizing LeBron. He has since really brushed you off. Have you had any <clears throat> conversations with him even behind the scenes about what your advocacy means to you or, or maybe just what his advocacy means to him even? We'll give him the benefit of the doubt. I mean, I wish, you know, I never had a conversation with him, but I wish I had a conversation with him. I don't want to say I want to educate him because I don't think he is not educated like he said he is. You know, there's no way he doesn't know the the concentration camp about in, in China. He, there's no way he doesn't know about the the hypocrisy of Nike. There's no way he doesn't know about, all you know, the, the, all the, the, the lies that the NBA has been telling everyone. You know, he knows he has been in the league for 20 years. So I'm not going to say I want to educate him because he might know better than me. But not just LeBron, but I'm calling out all these athletes out there who is signed with these companies, uh, which when they when you look, they are supporting Black Lives Matter in America. They're supporting LGBTQ in America. They're supporting no Asian hate in America. They're supporting all these all this, uh, movements, right? But when it comes to China, they remain silent. And that is the one thing that kills me inside, you know? So if you're a player, especially if you're the face of the league like LeBron, you have a power to inspire millions of people. Is it really worth it to sell your soul to for money? Does it is it really worth it? Because now with the social because of social media, because of all this, you know, apps and stuff, there are millions of people out there are watching you and idolizing you. So when you sign with a company 
like Nike or some of the other sponsors that you have. You know, when you are trying to protect a dictatorship that is, you know, is like spreading this evilness in America. So I, if you're an athlete, just, just make sure you study because when you put your signature on a company like Nike or some other ones, then, you know, you're selling your soul to that company. And so to me, that was the one thing that like was killing me inside. I was like, I don't care whoever you are. You call yourself a king. You call yourself the goat. You call yourself whoever you are. I'm going to expose you. Well, I want to talk about Nike, too, because I think it's really interesting that, you know, the spokesperson for Nike has been someone who is willing to sacrifice everything. Uh, Of course, Colin Kaepernick. Very interesting. I want to get your thoughts on Colin Kaepernick, uh, what you think about his advocacy. You know, a lot of people are not familiar with the way that the timeline of events actually went down with Colin Kaepernick. He was replaced as a starting quarterback by Blaine Gabbert, and then he decided he was going to sit the bench and pout. And then all of a sudden, he became an advocate for social change and social justice and started his kneeling. And it's been very, very lucrative for, for him, kind of quite the opposite of what your advocacy has been for you. What do you think? So I'm gonna I'm gonna give you a very interesting and short story. So Colin Kaepernick was actually my friend, and before the, this whole China thing, we sit down, we had a conversation because I told him about the problems that are happening in Turkey. I was like, what can I do to even bring more awareness? So we sit down. There's even a picture out there, you know, uh, me and him. So we sit down. He gave me lots of tips. He said he said like do this and do that and stuff. Um, then I started to talk about China. I started, I started to criticize Nike and some of the companies. I've been texting him the last whatever, oh man, whatever time, but there's no answer. I mean, I hope, I'm just hoping that he's not seeing my text messages, but he was my friend and I hope he's still my friend. But after I started to talk about the problems that happened in China and started to criticize you know, Nike and some of the companies, I, I lost them. You know, there's no answer. I'm just hoping inside that he's just not seeing my messages. You're a very optimistic person. I'm not so optimistic. I think that Colin is all about Colin and whether he started out maybe having a mission in mind. It's quite obvious to me, especially from your story, that his mission is a bunch of phony baloney. Because when you want to talk about oppression, you want to talk about police brutality, Let's talk about China. That's another thing I want to ask you about because there's a lot of athletes, Kaepernick, LeBron, Megan Rapinoe, of course, in women's soccer, that think the United States is so oppressive, is so bad, demonizes law enforcement. Very interesting to me as an immigrant, when you look at the United States, of course we've got our problems, but do you understand this mainstreamed hatred for everything that it is to be an American? You know, I think if you want to see the, if you want to hear the real answer, uh, you have to watch the the movie called Anchorman. I think Ron Burgundy gave give the best answer. He said, if you want to see some real dictatorship, you know, swim your ass across the Atlantic Ocean to China, then you will see some real problems. And that was probably my best line. You know, you see, I mean, there's a genocide happening while we are talking right now. And not just, I'm not only close with the Uyghur community, but you see the Tibetans, you see you know, Hong Kongers and Mongolians and now Taiwanese people. You know, I mean, if you're going to call yourself a human rights activist, if you're going to call yourself a freedom fighter or social justice warrior, you cannot just be focused on only one country. And that country is giving you everything you have, you need, you know. But another side of the world, uh, the organization you're playing for or the company you signed with, 
literally committing a genocide. There is literally three, four million people right now are getting tortured and gang rape every day. I don't want to go in details. I'm sure there's so many people will be watching this, but come on now. You know, you call yourself a human rights activist on the other side of the world. People are, you know, dying and suffering. You cannot just say, oh, yeah, let me just focus on America. You know, America is pretty home. dang America great, give too. You, <laughs> give your money. America give you your, your job and everything, everything you need. But, I mean, it is what it is. I'm Obviously, I'm not saying America is perfect, obviously. Every country is having their own problem. But you need to understand, you know, you have checks and balances in this country and you have rules and laws. So you should feel blessed. So I have to ask you, because I know that you're very <laughs> proud of being an American, would you consider yourself a conservative, a libertarian, a liberal, a Democrat? If you had to put a label on yourself, where do you stand politically, especially now that we're heading into maybe an election season? Right. <clears throat> so I actually did sit down and had a conversation with many, uh, actually there were uh, conservatives, many conservative and many uh, Republican senators and you know congressmen. And I asked them, I was like, listen, you know, I want, what should I do? Do you think I should go one side, support one side? And what they told me is, what the senators actually told me is like, do not pick any, do not pick any side. Because once you pick a side, obviously the country is so divided right now and you're going to lose 50% because the message you have is so pure. It's human rights, you know? So you're kept up above everything. I don't care which party you cheer for. I don't care which side you're for. You have to care about human rights. So I, well, whoever tells me I will just say my side is human rights. That's a very politically correct answer, and I respect you for having it because you're not saying it to be phony. You're saying it because it's what you <clears throat> truly believe. Uh, that's, that's actually how I feel because, I mean, I really, because to me, till I, I was even going to get on politics because I was, I was like, if there's no basketball, let me just get on politics. And actually, many of the Republican senators stopped me and said no because the message you have is so pure and just keep spreading that message because it's, it's human rights. And so just go out there and just try to bring both sides together. And that's what I've been trying to do. I don't know if it's possible in these days, but that's what I'm trying to do. What I would love to see is an Ennis Cantor Freedom meetup <laughs> with uh, one governor, Ron DeSantis. And I'd like to see how that conversation <laughs> would go. Because I think that he's right along with you and calling things out. And I'm just going to put that bug in your ear. But before I let no. you go. So I, I met him actually in, uh, in Miami. And he, the first time he saw me, right, he's like, you have to move to Miami. He's like, this is your kingdom. Like, people will be like, worshiping you here. This is like a freedom uh, state. You have to move here. I was like, well, you know, let me just think about it. And I'll, get, I'll get back to you. But no, I'm, I am actually, that's one of the states that I'm, because uh, there's no basketball right now that I have to just keep doing my human rights work. So I'm thinking about a state that, that I'm going to move, but we'll see which one it's going to be. Well, Florida is a great state. Tennessee is a great state. So many states that believe in freedom. But I know that you're doing a lot more. You're actually walking the walk, not just talking the talk. I want to talk about your new initiative. You're actually trying to teach the Holocaust in Muslim schools, which is something mm -hmm. that a lot of people would think is very interesting, maybe outside of the box. Tell me about it and what inspired you to get involved. I remember when I was uh, nine years old, and I remember I was downstairs and playing with my friends. Uh, on the street, and all of a sudden, you know, my friends started to burn Israeli and American flags, and I was so scared. I was like, oh, my God, you know, what is these people, are, like, what is my friends are doing? So I immediately ran upstairs. I went to my apartment. I asked my mom, I was like, mom, you know, I have 
so many good friends and they're telling me to hate Israel, hate Jewish people. They're telling me to hate America. They're telling me to hate, you know, Americans. They, they're telling me they're evil and stuff. And they are, you know, what they're burning flags. I was like, what should I do? My mom gave me the best advice. He's like, I'm not going to tell you what to do, uh, but do not hate anyone before you meet them. So I was like, I promised my mom that day. I was like, I promise you till I meet uh, a Jewish person or till I meet someone from America, I'm not going to hate anyone. So I came to America when I was 17 years old. Obviously, you grew up uh, hearing those like, oh, people are evil, people are bad. America is the most you know, horrifying country out there in the world. So like, I'm always hearing these words. I came to America. I was like, this is like, this is better than my home country. The people respect each other. People love each other. And, you know, they respect other religions, other cultures. So I started to, you know, uh, I was like, what can I do to break that whole narrative in people's uh, head that Americans or Jewish people are bad? So I remember I one of my friends invited me to this uh, Holocaust Remembrance Day. And I went to the uh, events and I'm eating food and there's, this woman, she's around like 90 years old, came to me and said, I've never seen a Jewish this tall before. <laughs> I started to laugh. I started to uh, crack up. I was like, ma'am, you're so sweet, but I'm not Jewish. And she was like, what are you? I was like, I'm Muslim. And she's like, then what are you doing here? I was like, well, I'm here to learn, you know? And so that she started to tear up and stuff. Also that day, what I learned, like really shattered my heart. Because you always hear about Holocaust, what they've been through and stuff, but you never really learn about it. So I was like, if we can teach this in Muslim countries, you know, or even Muslim schools or to Muslim kids, because if you want to have a better and brighter future, we have to educate our kids. We're going to have a better future. So, so I was like, let's do something crazy. So I sit down, had a conversation with uh, one of the schools, and they said, let's do it. And actually, I met with the students um, like three, four uh, days ago, we ate this amazing food. And then we talk about the problems that are happening between the Jewish world and the uh, Muslim world. And they were the first students of this uh, project. And uh, now we started with one school. Now I'm sure there's so many schools will be like asking for this uh, initiative, but it's super uh, exciting. Listen, you are bringing people together where so many athletes in your position only seek to pull people apart and for their own financial gain. You walk the walk. You talk the talk. You're a true patriot. We're so happy to have you in the USA, maybe one day in Florida, maybe in Tennessee. But thank you so much for joining me. I super appreciate it. And please come back again. If you're ever in Nashville, we'll show you a good time. Yep, of course. Thank you, Tommy. Thanks so much. All right, still ahead, I sit down with a golf legend who pulls no punches and leaves no Diet Coke or no peanut M&M behind. His thoughts on PGA versus LIV and more next. Why does the PGA Tour have 23 sponsors within the PGA Tour doing 40 plus billion dollars worth of business with Saudi Arabia? Why is it okay for the sponsors? Why is it okay, Brian, that um, there's a Saudi sponsor in Aramco, the largest sponsor of women's golf in the world. Why is it okay for them? Why is it not okay for these players? The hypocrisy in all this, it's so loud, it's deafening. So Greg Norman makes a good point. Why is Saudi money or Chinese money only acceptable when it's going to leagues and corporations 
but not when it's going into the pockets of the players themselves. Isn't it all blood money at that point? But joining me now with his expert insight into this whole controversy is none other than John Daly, who I'm so happy to have you here. People are very excited to see you, obviously. Uh, how you doing? I'm doing well. You know, listen, not only are you a friend of mine through our good buddy Steve, but also what better person to get their take on this than you? What is your response been to all of this PGA versus LIV controversy going on? Honestly, I've just been staying out of it. I'm too old to even worry about it. They're not going to call me and want it. But the one thing I can say is I think some guys should do it. And some guys, um, I think if they want to do it, do it. But I'm not against the LIV and I'm not, I'm not against what the tour's doing. So, um, it's supposed to be the tour works for us, but I'm kind of leaning like, well, maybe Jay thinks we're working for him, and I don't want to make him mad or anything, but um, I just wish they would come together and just do it together, you know? Um, you know, I know Greg. I've known Greg for a long time. He actually, his idea was the World Golf Championships, and and him and um, uh, our last uh, commissioner, um, Tim Fincham, they worked it out, and... You know, I just wish golf is such a great game. It's such a competitive game. There's so many great people playing the game. I'm not against other tours. I'm really not. I mean, it'd be like if the European tour just came out, would our tour be against that? So um, I personally wish they would come together and work it out because, you know, people are mad at some players for labor laws and all this. Well, <laughs> You know, no disrespect to Nike, but I've been to where that people make their, their shoes, and it's in China, okay? <laughs> so if you want to talk about labor laws and all this stuff, and you know, so they just need to stop the bickering. Let's play golf. Have a good time. And if people want to play it, play it. Um, Jay's got to do his job, um, but I'm going to stay on the PGA Tour. I'm old. I, I love the guys on the Champions Tour. I wish we'd play faster, but... Uh, that's my home. That's my tour. But I'm not going to criticize the LIV, and I'm surely not going to criticize the PGA Tour. I think there's probably room for them to come together and collaborate at some level. But I think what's getting all the attention is this so-called blood money because it's Saudi Arabia, and there's been much to do about that. But you mentioned the hypocrisy. No one cares when Joe Biden goes to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil. Nobody yeah. cares that Saudi Arabian money is going into these sponsors and these exactly. organizations, but they care when it's going directly into the pockets of the players. They're calling this blood money. I mean, is this really about Saudi Arabia or is this just, hey, we don't really like the competition and this is an easy out? You know, that, honey, that'd be an answer Jay would answer, but look at NBA in China. I mean, come on. I mean, we, we've grown up, we, we live and follow our dreams and do what we want. If you can get a lot of money and kind of end your career, so be it for some players. But for me, I, I believe in a redneck boy from Arkansas saying this, I believe in the tradition of the game. And, you know, I, there's still some things I want to do on the PGA Tour. And, you know, I drive my bus, and I love being in America playing. I love going to Europe and play. But, um, like I said, I'm I'm for whatever the guys want to do. You know, it's their individual thing. If they want to pocket their money and play eight tournaments a year or 14, I'd go nuts. What am I going to do the next whatever weeks or 48 weeks or whatever weeks are left in the year. What am I going to do? I'll right. go nuts. I got to play at least <laughs> try and play at least 30 tournaments a year. So what do you make of some of these players saying, listen, 
we are working our tails off playing PGA, not making a whole lot of money. This is guaranteed money. Hey, if you want us to not go elsewhere, then maybe we need to you know, up the stakes for us to keep our attention. Do you think there's some room for that discussion to be had? Yeah, definitely. I mean, but that's something the Saudi tour, the LIV, Norman, and Jay Munham's going to have to work out themselves. I, I, Like I said, I don't blame some of the players for doing it. You know, I mean, you take away, I mean, you look at a guy like uh, Pat Perez. I think he's going to sign with him. If I'm wrong, I'm sorry. But, you know, Pat's been out there for a long time on the PGA Tour. Um, his ranking is not good enough right now to be in the majors, and it's not good enough to play the World Golf Championships. So you're looking at nine, ten World Golf Championships a year, four majors. You only got to play 15 tournaments a year on the PGA Tour. <clears throat> and our, our smaller tournaments, you know, you take Reno, which I love playing. Um, you take uh, Greensboro, and you take these smaller events. Well, the purse is still way up there, but not like the World Golf Championships. Those tournaments is all these guys want to play in because the money's big and the rankings are better. So you might have these, you know, uh, Roy McIlroy, JT, they might not play in a lot of those smaller tournaments, and that that's tough for the tour. Um, but I don't blame them, you know. And I believe a player in his heart, yeah, if you want to take $200 million, whatever Phil did, and um, you're rich as you know what, but are you going to be happy? That's the question I want to find out after these guys play these eight weeks. Are they going to be happy? Some element of selling your soul, because you're making the money no matter how, how well you do. I think there's a lot of that criticism, too. It's one thing if it's playing on merit, but you're pretty much just playing to make money. But, John, you like making money. Is that something that you would do? Would you head on over to Saudi Arabia? and? I would sit down and talk. I mean, if, if they would offer something or whatever, maybe. Because you know what? Like, for me, I'm old. It does, I, I don't. On our tour, we don't get world ranking points. This tour is not going to get world ranking points. So um, it would be stupid for me not to at least think about it. You know, you're playing three days, uh, going back to maybe one pro-am. I most of the time play two and three. I'm exhausted before I tee it up on Friday on our Champions Tour. We get nothing for it. You know, I thought when I was going to come on the Champions Tour, it was going to be a, a pro-am. You play three days and everybody has fun, but... The Champions Tour for me has been work. It's been hard. I'm wore out. I'm too old to play that many pro-ams, but it is what it is. But, you know, like for me, though, if they don't have more tournaments on the LIV Tour, I need at least 20, 25, 30 tournaments. Do you think that you'd be able to go to some place like Saudi Arabia or the desert and still drink no water and only Diet Coke and, and M&Ms and cigarettes? Do you think that's possible for you? I mean, I know you're a machine. Everywhere I go, they got vodka, baby. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. Well, I want to ask you about that because there's been a, a lot of viral moments with you for your entire career, and you're not slowing down anytime soon. You still drink no water. You still drink a ton of Diet Coke. Your diet probably has changed somewhat, or am I wrong? I have. I have ever since I got diagnosed with bladder cancer. I, I told doctor, uh, my doc, I said, I, I have been drinking water. I don't drink enough, but um, I do drink a little bit. So are you just a freak of nature then that you're able to do this? Everybody looks at you like you're crazy with your eating habits and your lifestyle habits. And, I mean, you're one of a kind, John. Well, nicotine and, you know, caffeine equal protein to me. It's been working so far. Why change it if it's working, right? That's right. Well, you and I have a mutual friend. That's how I originally met you, of course, at Losers, and that's Steve Ford. And, you know, I love Steve. But I think at one point he was a crazy person because we happen to have a video of something that Steve did 
Uh, I know you know this well, but let's take a look for those that haven't seen this on the good old interwebs. <laughs> parking lot of losers were one of you sober both of you sober neither one of you sober how did that go down we were drunk as skunks we and you can hit like that that was like two or three o'clock in the morning and you can if hit the like pga that. tour let me play drunk i'd win a lot more tournaments so again going back to you're a freak of yeah. nature yeah and barefooted if i could play the tour barefooted it'd be nice if steve the man in the video our good friend had been sober at that time would he have let you hit a golf ball out of his mouth? And has he done it since? He hasn't done it since, but yes, back then he was crazy enough to do, yeah, we would have done it sober, too. Well, Steve's off camera right now, but maybe we could just tee it up in the parking lot and see what happens. You got a driver? <laughs> Steve's over there like, not, not now that I'm sober. Hey, listen, though, that was a great video. That's how I got introduced to you and your lifestyle, and you are certainly one of a kind. You're an athlete. Um, there's somebody else that happens to run our country that is... Not so much of an athlete, uh, definitely not a bicyclist. So I want to play this next clip of our illustrious POTUS and see what you think. So that's been going around the internet, uh, of course. I mean, I feel bad for the guy, but as an athlete, you know, is that acceptable for anybody, for an old man, for a president? How confident does that make you, you know, in his ability to run the country? Right there just shows him falling off that bike. That's about what he is as a president, <laughs> you know? He doesn't have a clue what he's doing. And I know that you're no stranger to, to politics and to controversy, and you pretty much just tell it like it is, and you don't really care who it offends. So I want to get your take coming up into 2024. You a Trump guy, DeSantis guy? What are you thinking? All the above. I've never called Daddy Trump the president. I've always called him Daddy Trump. Daddy Trump. I love him. I hope he runs again. Um you know, this November is going to be big for our country. I hope we get the House and the Senate and the Congress. And we get that. Some things might change. But um, we got to get some people in there that at least have some common sense. There's no common sense in that up there in D.C. right now. It's greed. It's socialism. Which, remember, I remember when people, our government used to go arrest people that would even talk about socialism and communism. Now they talk about it like it's every day. And that's what they want to do. And it's pretty obvious they want to run us, take all more, all our money, and we're going to be, I mean, we're just going to be pigeons to them. They don't care about the American people, what's going on up there at all. And you say it like it is, but how many athletes or even entertainers out there do you think are conservative and just don't want to be canceled so they shut up? Well, I mean, I think most athletes are smart enough to know that our country is not being run right right now. How can anybody say that Daddy Trump didn't run this country right the four years he was in office? Things were great. Everything was great. People were happy. People were working. People were smiling. And now look at them. There's more suicides and divorces going on right now because nobody wants to work, and they don't want us to work. No, they want us to be dependent on the government. They exactly. hate it when we have independence and individual rights and liberties and freedoms. Yeah. Now they're coming for the guns. But as you call him Daddy Trump, have you had conversations with him about 2024? Has he given you any insight that you can share with us on what he plans to do? Um, I asked him when he said he's going to run. He said he's going to run. So that hasn't changed when I talked to him about a month ago. So I hope he does run. I'd love to have DeSantis or anybody that's got common sense like those two guys do. I think they, 
they could run the country. What's there right now? They couldn't even if they ran a pet a, a pet store, all the pets would die. <laughs> Well, because a teleprompter can't run a pet, store, a pet store and a teleprompter can't ride a bike either. And that's quite obvious over what happened this weekend. But, you know, he goes on vacation. They, they give Obama a lot of flack for going golfing. They gave Trump a lot of flack for going golfing. Joe Biden can't even ride a bike, but he's going on vacation every single weekend. He leaves early. He puts a lid on his press. He doesn't seem to really care that he's not doing anything and that our country's going to hell. No, he doesn't care. Look at the border. I mean, look at everything he's doing. He doesn't care. They want votes, and, and they want to give a lot of people votes. That's all they want to do. I want to ask you about Trump and DeSantis. Do you think those two would go head-to-head? -head? And if they did, who would win? I, that's, a, that's a good question. I honestly think Daddy Trump would edge him out a little bit. But either way, I, don't, I think both of them would be great. It would be great to have DeSantis maybe vice president. That'd be pretty good. Or, you know, I know Daddy Trump don't want to be vice president, but uh, even if it got as weird as it could, Daddy Trump out, Speaker of the House, <laughs> that might be pretty cool. So you have to tell me why we call him Daddy Trump. I met, him, I met him a long time ago. He flew his helicopter, and we were doing a, a pro-am, and he wanted to play golf with me just outside of New York. I can't remember the tournament. It didn't, the tournament didn't last long, but he wanted to meet me, and we got done. We had a great day, and... Um, we go on the, like the back porch of the club and just talking and, you know, and he's talking a little bit of politics and getting to know him. And, um, when our con he didn't, all he, he drinks more Diet Cokes than I do, by the way. <laughs> you have similar eating habits. That is well, for sure. Our conversation back then, I, I drank a bottle of Jack Daniels with my Diet, Diet Coke, but, um, he didn't drink, he didn't smoke, he, but he was very, just, just somebody that you would, could sit and have a nice conversation with and uh, but to make a long story short when, when he left he goes I will be president of the United States one day so when was this give me a, a year range I'm thinking 90 92 93 94 somewhere in there wow that's almost my birth year I'm a 92 baby so this is this has been damn near 30 years in the making then yeah wow and how is he as a golfer from your expert perspective well uh, he's he, he he can play I mean he's not He's not bad. I mean, we've played about probably seven, eight times, and he's a good putter. The only thing I've ever told him, and I think Rick Smith helps him a little bit down there at Doral, but uh, his chipping gets a little quick. But other than that, he hits the ball in the air every time, and he's a hell of a competitor. So have you ever golfed with Barack Obama? Because he was a golfer, too. He liked to leave and, and go golfing. No, uh, Bill Clinton's about about. I had to play with him one time, and his golf game is almost as worse as what's going on in, in our administration <laughs> right now. Before he would hit the ball, he would have another one out of his pocket throwing it down because he knew he wasn't going to like it. <laughs> <laughs> well, hey, at least you know, at least he's honest about it. Yeah. Hillary, maybe not so much. Hillary would be a fun golf partner, though. No. <laughs> no. Have you ever? Who was the most interesting person you ever met? Because I feel like your list is very long. Interesting person I ever met. There's a few of them. Um, I was over in uh, Italy uh, playing the Italian Open, and Sebastian Stallone. It was me and my caddy. We were having some beers after a pro am, and uh, he was in that bar, and he was just there by himself. And I kind of looked over. Sly, he goes, Daily, you Daily? Yeah. What are you doing here? What are you doing here? He was filming the movie Cliffhanger. 
And um, we sat and talked, but, you know, just an amazing human being. Like, you think the way he acted Rocky, you know, people might think Sylvester Stallone might not be the smartest guy in the world. But, man, is he one of the greatest guys I've ever met in my life. I haven't seen him in a while, but um, I came back and played Riviera, and he was on the top. And I threw him a ball and said hi, but I haven't seen him since then. But very, I love him. And uh, But Joe Pesci is one of my best friends. I could sit and talk to him all day long. Um, there's a list that goes on. But, uh, you know, it's this game for me has given me an opportunity to meet a lot of great people. Is there anybody that you've met that you've been friends with that in 2016 when the political division got heightened and people were anti-Trump and they had that Trump derangement syndrome, did you lose any friends because of that? I know that you've been a you know, vocal supporter, you're yeah, a vocal I conservative. I didn't lose a lot of friends. I, you know, I, you know, whatever happened to speaking your opinion anymore, you know, just because somebody may say, hey, I voted for this person or that person and you have an opinion on it doesn't mean you're a bad person. Now, if you voted for Biden, you're probably one of the dumbest ignorant people you would ever, I would ever say you are. But, um, but like I said, I mean, like I, I do have friends that that did vote for Biden, but they're not talking about it much. Yeah, they're not talking about it. I hope they're paying all of the gas bills in this whole oh, yeah. this whole place because things are getting a little rough out there. Yeah. People are going to have to go to Saudi Arabia to start playing pretty soon. Maybe just go get some gas. Who knows, John? I don't know. I just wish. I mean, this this country's going down the tubes, and it's because of that administration that's in there right now. We hope for better things ahead. Maybe Daddy Trump will go ahead and toss his hat in there in 2024, and we'll have a good time. And maybe after this, we'll go hit balls out of Steve's mouth in the parking lot. You never know what's going to happen with John Daly. I would love to take you on a golf course. Well, hey, it's I'm gonna I'm gonna hold you to that. Uh, and your first swing can be right out of Steve's mouth. Steve would let me do it too. He probably would. <laughs> we'll talk about that after the show. But thank you so much for being here. And thanks to Steve for bringing you here. And uh, hopefully we'll see you soon, maybe on the golf course. You got I don't know. I could probably drink Diet Coke and drink beer. That's about probably all I can do. But Well, my we'll new see. drink will be out. I'll, I'll, well, I'll, you well there you go. That. I'm, happy to, I'm happy to plug it for you. <laughs> all right, John, thank you so much. Thank but you. up next, wokeness has ruined sports and even sports careers for so many. What can be done about the double standards? Well, my final thoughts are next. Welcome back, and it's time for Final Thoughts. We've spent the majority of the show talking about woke sports, and I know there are some of you out there who don't understand what's wrong with sports getting woke or political, or athletes and their organizations using various platforms to advocate for social, cultural, or even global change. So I want to make this clear. There is nothing wrong with that concept, so long as it is evenly applied. But see, therein lies the problem. Like with about everything else these days, one side, one party, one political and ideological perspective reigns supreme, and anything or anyone outside of that box is either forced to apologize, is canceled, or both. Now, the examples are countless, but let me just name a few for you. Here's a recent one. The defensive coordinator for the Washington Commanders, formerly known as Redskins, note woke name change, was fined $100,000 a couple weeks ago for his comments on the events of January 6th and the 2020 summer riot season. Not only did he commit the cardinal sin of referring to riots as riots, but also compared them to January 6th, calling it a dust-up in, compar in comparison. Was he wrong? Absolutely not. But the woke mob doesn't care. 
he was fined, forced to apologize, and then deleted his entire Twitter account. But why is it that he was forced to do all of that for supposedly offending the team and league? But just a week or so prior, another coach, Steve Kerr of the Golden State Warriors, was praised as a hero for his speech on gun control. Why does his opinion matter more than Jack Del Rio's? The media and the woke sports community did the same damn thing to Drew Brees when he came out in support of standing for the national anthem, oh, the horror, I know. But a little heat and backlash from the Twitter finger blue check brigade, and what did Drew do? He walked it all the way back. Shoot, players can't even make their own health and wellness decisions without being ridiculed these days. Not if it goes against the left's agenda, of course. Kyrie Irving, Cole Beasley, and Aaron Rodgers all torn up one side and down the other for their selfish and personal choice to remain unvaccinated. That COVID saga was so asinine, Kyrie Irving was allowed to sit in the stands for home games, though he was barred from playing, even though he could board the team plane and play at away games in free states. That's how absolutely moronic sports have become, thanks to the plague of wokeness. And let's go back to the Live Golf Tour. If you play for a Saudi paycheck, you're taking blood money and selling your soul, but Joe Biden goes to Saudi Arabia to beg for oil and it's all dandy? Or if you're the entire National Basketball Association, you can have contracts worth billions with the Chinese communists, and that's fine. Talk about blood money. Hello? The NBA is so married to Chinese money, they're willing to trash or cancel any player, coach, or entity that dares to even slightly criticize the regime. And I'm sad to say it, but the MLB is no better. Not only are they pushing players and fans alike to endure drag nights and don rainbows on their uniforms, let's not forget that embarrassment of a decision the MLB made to pull last year's All-Star game out of majority black Atlanta to majority white Colorado, depriving that community of millions in revenue and for what? Another worthless virtue signal. It wasn't over so-called voting rights because Colorado has voting laws just as strict, if not stricter, than Georgia's. But boy, if Commissioner Manfred is worried about rights, oppression, or even the perception of those things, why has he pushed for an MLB presence in Cuba, of all places? The MLB also has a love affair with China, or at least Chinese broadcasting. So a reminder that both Cuba and China heavily restrict what few rights their people have in the first freaking place. But let's round out this double standard tour right here at home. Why is it the NFL, the NBA, the MLB, and about every other sports entity and organization not only allow but endorse the BLM movement, even plastering Black Lives Matter across the courts and sidelines? Players able to bring their anti-police and anti-America BS front and center and do it with the full support of professional sports associations? Hell, after the Dallas massacre of July 7th, 2016, the massacre inspired by BLM and the massacre that left five officers dead, the Dallas Cowboys were barred from wearing an arm-and-arm decal on their helmets to pay respect to those officers. But now, the league allows BLM slogans and phrases to be plastered everywhere to show solidarity. Need I remind you that by BLM's own account, they have not only successfully demonized law enforcement, but the organization seeks to defund the police altogether. Woke sports is a freaking joke and a half, but what's the solution? Do we stop watching? Do we stop going to games? Is that what it takes? I hope not, because before sports and sports media went full woke, it was sports that brought us together. No one cared about race or politics or political affiliation. They left that crap out of it. 
Now, I fear we won't ever get back to that place. So instead of hoping for it, I believe the solution isn't to pull politics out of sports, but to pull the head shyness out of half of us who see the double standard and just shut up about it. We cancel ourselves so we don't ruffle feathers? Why? Why are we not as proud of our beliefs as those on the woke left? Why are we so damn afraid of offending people who have zero problem offending us? When is the last time you heard, heard a liberal or a woke athlete, coach, owner, or media personality apologize for his or her beliefs? That's right, never. So we need to stop. Only apologize when you are truly wrong, but never, listen to me, never apologize for being right. And those are my final thoughts from Nashville. God bless and take care.